You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Rogue. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Coming up on the Brew Session, Ether Channeler has three ways to make an impact every time it comes into play. Does this triple threat wizard have the right skills for Modern and Pioneer? Then on the flashback, testing results with Leyline Binding. That's all coming up on Faithless Brewing. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am David Robertson, coming to you live from the Twin Cities, and I'm joined by my man south of the border. He is Mordekaiser. He is Mord to Light on Twitter.com. Mord, what is going on, my friend? Hey, yo. All good. Surviving country stability as best as I can. <laughs> Just floating and staying on the edges. Much like the vice president of your country, staying alive by inches. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Just coping, it all goes well. So yeah, just here playing magic, losing a lot of play points by playing some horrible decks. Okay. What about you? Uh, also staying alive. Um, <laughs> yeah, just living the dream. Summer is at an end in, in Minnesota, so you know it's the uh, days are getting shorter. It's getting a little ominous, but I'm headed to England in a week and a half so i'm very excited about that i'll be there for two weeks oh that's nice yeah i'll be wandering the cotswold area so won't be brewing we'll instead be uh wandering to pubs and uh you know living my hobbit lifestyle okay going from pub to pub just having the best life yeah walking like 14 15 hours or uh, 14 15 miles a day it's uh the cotswolds are like 108 miles or something Okay. <laughs> so yeah, you just go from like town to town and check out old castles and stuff. Just the best tourist life. I was on England a few years ago. Beautiful place. Yeah. British people, not so much, but you know, they're all right. <laughs> British patrons don't hear him. He doesn't speak. <laughs> he doesn't speak for the podcast. Don't listen to that band. 1776 scoreboard. That's all I need to say. <laughs> Someone stop him. He's got a key. He's going off the record. All right. So we have a big show. Hopefully everybody listened on Friday. We broke down some of the cool new tech. A lot of cool ideas people are taking into the queues, into the challenges even, in both Modern and Pioneer. Today we are going to talk about our card of the week, and that is Ether Chandler, a card that both Mort and I were super excited to see printed. Oh, yeah. And we're going to talk about our experiments with Leyline Binding. So... Before we get to that, a little bit of housekeeping as usual at the top of the show. If you enjoy the show and want to support us, the best way to do that is to go to patreon.com and go to Faithless Brewing. What is it? Faithless Brewing at patreon.com? Yes, exactly. If you just look for us in Patreon, you're going to find us super easily. Every single thread of support helps us keep going. It works for us. It works for you. Helps you get into the Discord where you will find just beautiful people, amazing brewers, and really, really bad ideas alongside some decent ones. 
and it will allow you to either nominate or vote for cards for a monthly project as you decide what we're going to spend our play points on. Yeah, absolutely. So with that out of the way, let us get to our new card. So, Ether Chandler, tell me what this card does, Mord. So we're talking about a 3-mana 2-1 wizard, wizard human. When it enters a battlefield, choose one of three modes, draw a card, bounce target non-land permanent to its owner's hand, or make a 1-1 one, one bird with flying. The fact I remember this card by heart means it's good. <laughs> That's how it works. If I can say the card by heart is good, if I can't, maybe it's good, it just isn't in your own colors. Yeah, so this card kind of immediately captured a lot of people's uh, attention because... It doesn't do any one thing really well, but the three things it does, it does reasonably well. Normally, we pay a lot more of an extra cost for this amount of flexibility. So, a three mana two one that bounces any permanent, that's reasonable. A three mana two power creature that draws a card, that's reasonable. And a three mana two power creature that makes a one one flyer is, is reasonable. Now, obviously, if you want any of those specific modes, you can probably find a little bit more efficient. You, you can play a three mana three two that draws a card. You can play... Um, you know, a, a three mana. Is there a three mana three two that draws a card? Yeah, the one that also makes two energy. There's even more text. <laughs> oh yeah, the exactly the same picture we have at a refiner. Yeah. <laughs> so so each you know you can make, you can find a three mana two two that makes a better uh, extra token than just a one one right. You can play um, old pyromancer. <laughs> Yeah, you can find a lot of ways to make something better than each of the specific mode, but we praise here an ETV is its versatility. Especially with stuff you're bound to blink, it's great to have versatility because it's really weird you want that many tokens or that many bounces or that many cards. It's the versatility in I can bounce something and I can draw a card when there's nothing to bounce. Yeah, and I think that's the key. So we'll talk about this during our uh, binding section, but... This is not a good card to tutor because each individual effect it has is not the best in class, as our uh, CEO likes to say. So it doesn't do any one thing well. And Damon pointed that out, as he said, you know, possible weakness of this card is that often when you have these cards, you want them to be really good at one thing as opposed to kind of good at a bunch of different things. But to really make it sing, I think you do need to have that bouncing effect where you do something over and over again and you don't want too many of any one thing, right? You don't want to... Your opponent might not have that many things you want to bounce. You, you want to draw a card instead or, or make a bunch of bodies uh, to block or, or to attack uh, planeswalkers or what have you. Yeah. You have fallen in love with Dan's phrase of best in class. And in this particular scenario, I think it's a pretty accurate appointment. It's really weird for you to want to get this card. Like out of a toolbox package, right? Why would you let them recall for this when you can get, as we said, Barril which is the choo-choo that bounces and then draws a card, when you can get Season Pyromancer, when you can get anything else. The upside of this card is the multiple blinking aspect of it. Yeah, it's also a human, which somewhat matters. I think the human's deck in uh, Modern does not exist anymore, and the human's deck in Pioneer is very aggressive. And this does not give you uh, enough power, I think, for three mana. So I, I don't think this actually, the human text matters that much. The wizard text matters a little bit, as we're going to see uh, in one of my brews. I'm very interested in exploiting that. Dan is always on the lookout, as he says, for wizards that don't require you to have a bunch of spells uh, in your deck. So this is this is notable for that, right? This this gives you value. It, it's, it is interaction with uh, any permanent, any non-land permanent. And it does not require you to cast spells or have a density of spells, you know, to, to do anything else. So that that's kind of cool. 
This might be the first excuse we have to play the card from your age, Riptide Laboratory. What about uh, Snapcaster Mage? I said good excuse. Snapcaster Mage is better than other Chandler, is it not? I'm not muted, everybody. I'm having a deep insight on yeah, the he's... conversation with Inner Mord. Are we saying other Chandler's better than Snapcaster Mage? I, I need a... I need a judge's ruling here. <laughs> so, you don't need multiple cards in your graveyard. You don't need multiple... Uh, I don't know. Maybe I think I want... I don't know. Why didn't you ask me so deep and personal questions that can harm in such a deep level? Now I'm going to write an essay on this topic. I, <laughs> maybe we need a poll in our Discord, because I feel like Snapcaster Mage is going to win with... All of the votes except for Mords, who will not vote yay or nay. He will vote unsure. <laughs> he will vote why. But yeah, maybe we can just play both. But the important thing is, Human Wizard, extremely versatile card. Okay, so let's look at some deck lists. We will start with Pioneer. Um, the first card I'm really interested in playing with this is Nabon. So Nabon is a 2-mana, two 2-1 two wizard. And... It lets you double uh, come into play triggers from wizards. So we're getting paid off uh, extra on all these wizard come into play triggers. And we've had a bunch of reasonably uh, costed wizards printed. Cards I'm interested in playing with this are Rafine's Informant, which gets to connive twice and possibly gets to become a 4-3 that double loots. Never even realized he was a wizard. She doesn't seem like a wizard at all. She doesn't, but I know this because Dan immediately wanted to build a freaking uh, party deck. <laughs> It's just like, oh, we have a wizard doesn't require spells. I was like, I'm I'm filing this away for like a real deck. The party deck does, of course, is not a not a deck. Harbinger of Tides, Tidebinder Mage, Reflector Mage, Ether Chandler, Master Waves as a wizard, and then uh, Thassa Deep Dwelling is a card that blinks every turn, which is one of the things that yes. Mord was saying we we want. Um, the other thing to note is I've really been loving Extraction Specialist. And Extraction Specialist is really good if you have two drops that you want to survive. I love it. I love Extraction Specialist in so many decks. Like, whenever you just can use it efficiently, like, you're the, if your opponent is forced to deal with your two drops, or your one drops or whatever, Extraction Specialist is just amazing. Yeah, and, and it also really helps you, like, play catch-up the Nabon package. So if you if your opponent plays, like, turn one Lanowar Elf, turn two Cure or something, and you go turn two Nabon, it's like, oh, man, I'm way behind. You play other Chandler, bounce their Planeswalker and their Elf, like, you're just so far ahead all of a sudden, right? Yeah. And then if you're playing its removal deck, okay, the deck is, is interacting. It kills Nabon. They have to play off curve or whatever. They, they, they stomp Nabon. You just bring it back with Extraction Specialist. So now what do they do? They, I mean, they can't just take Extraction Specialist over and over again, but they don't want to leave Nabon in play. So I, I just love that it, 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 Nabon is great against a bunch of shells. And then to sort of increase the effectiveness of Extraction Specialist, I'm playing Thalia, which has no synergy here. It's a human soldier, but it just is a card that gives you a ton of game against a bunch of the other shells and slows down Mono Green. And it doesn't affect a single card that you have in your deck. So it's basically just free for you to play. Uh, you have... Rafine's Informant, if it's not a good card, you just turn it into something else and, you know, make it Rafine's Informant bigger. And if it is good, it's a card that we get to keep around because we have to play Extraction Specialist to bring it back. Okay. Yeah, when it's, and when Tali is huge, it's huge. You know you have the making so far party decking here, right? <laughs> I'm sure I do, but uh, it's mostly wizards. <laughs> 
I mean, you have rogues. You could have some clerics. Yeah, well, the, the rogue is... Yeah, I guess. So, yeah. One of the things that's attractive about this is we get to play 21 lands plus 3 Glasspool Mimic. Yeah. Uh, Glasspool Mimic is just so good with a bunch of these cards, like copying Ender Chandler, copying Extraction Specialist, copying Master of Waves, of course. That's a Deep Dwelling here as a card. We're not that concerned with turning on, although we do have a bunch of blue pips with Harbinger of Tides and Tidebinder Mage. But it's mainly just like Blink Master Waves at the end of turn, Blink Other Chandler at the end of turn. Yeah. It's, a, it's a card type that Red Black especially really struggles to deal with. If we're just blinking Other Chandler every turn, that's something they actually really struggle to beat. And if we're blinking uh, Other Chandler every turn with the Nibon in play, then the game is over. As I've said, against Red Black, if you complete... Three two-for-ones, you can just extend the right you hand. Win. So you you have to get there, but the, this is a way to help you get there. So I'm going to ask something sort of... Maybe this is my brain going on... When I say going off, it's not like going off, like popping off. It's like like shutting down, actually. <laughs> we have six cards that care about Mono Blue Devotion here. Do we have any possibility of a sharing a Mono Blue Devotion deck with Nyxos? You could. I don't think you want to play uh, Mono Blue with any splash at all, though, because the mana is so bad. Yeah, but straight up Mono Blue. Yeah, so I think you could play that. Um, I would maybe actually look... In, in Mono Blue Devotion, I would look to play the other two-mana Blue Wizard that like lets your opponent draw an extra card on their turn or whatever, and their spells cost more. If they pay two? Yeah. Yeah, I think you have a lot of stuff, like wizards in like with double peeps and triple peeps and go sleep into Nixthoff, Master of Waves, Tass and such. I don't know, now that we have so many playable ones, like the full playset of Other Channeler, the full playset of Last Bull Mimic, the full playset of Navan, of Harbinger of Trides. I don't know. Maybe it's insanity. It might be insanity. Likely is insanity. I think there's certainly a shell there. The thing for me, though, is I really want Nabon to be in play. And so if I want Nabon to be in play, then I think I need the... Um, extraction Specialist. The Extraction Specialist, exactly. And then once I'm in white, it's like... Pladalia. Yeah, then Thali is just so good, right? She's so good against blue-red. She's okay against a few other shells. And then I do think that Rafine's Informant like, is just legitimately good, especially with Nabon. So, oh, yeah. Um, and then Reflector Mage, right? Like, we, we just have a... Re uh, we're probably going to be a little behind on, like, turn three, and then we're going to, like, have an insane, like, turn three, turn four kind of sequence <laughs> is what I'm thinking happens a lot of times. Yeah, I agree. Fun fact about Extraction Specialist is it works super well with the Enlist Humans creatures. Oh, yeah. So I, I saw a Humans list that was playing... The Motorwide list that always plays, like, the full basis of a Specialist was playing three or four of the new one with Enlist. The choo-choo that you got this kind of to make indestructible... And it just works super well as a synergy. Yeah, I mean, Enlist is a limited mechanic, but that interaction might be enough to make me at least consider that card. I mean, Enlist, Enlist is a draft mechanic, but the 2 mana 2-2 two, two that you can protect and Christ 2 once you Enlist is actually quite a decent card. Yes, especially if you have a reasonable way to make it Enlist, which is Extraction Specialist specifically. Exactly, like it's a super synergy. Or like you never want to attack with Talia a lot of the time and you can just go with that. Yeah. That's exactly what it's doing. Right. Yeah, I love that. I'd not thought about that at all. Okay, so that's one shell. The second shell I want to talk about. So I 4-1 with a pretty wild list, I have to say. Um, it was basically, my idea was... <laughs> If you have an Essica's Chariot in play and a Teleportation Circle, you can't lose to Red Black. You, they just, you don't have to play another spell. They can't beat it. So 
once you've like out mid range the other mid range deck, now all you have to do is find a way to like be control and be combo. Um, <laughs> so my my thought process was like I'm gonna play a bunch of two mana uh, ramp creatures. I'm gonna try to play Essika's Chariot or Teleportation Circle on three. And then eventually I'll draw the other part and then the game's over against other mid-range decks. And I just have to find a way to not lose to, you know, spirits and Phoenix. And, and such. Else. So I, I tried various versions of this. I, you know, a few, multiple one, three drops. Weirdly, the thing I determined I needed was, <laughs> so, so my, my ramp spells were ingenious Smith is my two drop, uh, renowned weaponsmith, And then um, innkeeper. So Innkeeper was weirdly insane in this deck. Like, bouncing these creatures every turn just gives you an insane amount of life, and they don't, like, want to kill it. doesn't seem, like, worth killing, and you never actually target it with your bounce from your circle. Okay. The the Weaponsmith was, my thought was, I, I had all these five-drop uh, artifacts I want to play, and then if they kill it, you know, then I've got the Extraction Specialist thing happening. What I found was I needed blue earlier because I was playing Weaponsmith, I needed. I finally got this deck to four one because I added four prophetic prisms, which are actually awesome with teleportation circle. You just never yeah. flood, and um, the uh, it also weirdly lets you take the mana from weaponsmith and filter it into normal mana, so it like turns weaponsmith into sort of like a two mana sylvan carry added. Okay, nice synergy for non artifacts, which which came up a lot because the problem was weaponsmith died and then. So I was having to play Extraction Specialist, but Extraction Specialist doesn't do that much against decks that don't interact. <laughs> so, like, Extraction Specialist sucks against, like, Mono Blue Spirits or whatever. So I was thinking, like, what I want to do is cut a bunch more of the blue and uh, get rid of the Weaponsmith and then just try to really focus on ramping to four and not play quite as many five drops and not worry about playing the artifacts as much. And so I also really like the idea of having other Chandler. So I guess my proposed update has the... Um, the four portable hole, and then four Sylvan carry added, four perspective innkeeper, four prospect innkeeper, four ingenious smith, still the four prophetic prism, unlicensed earth courier's briefcase, one glass casket, and then two other Chandler, only one extraction specialist because we have very few two drops we care about living, one other sphere harvester is just like a value card we can hit with our ingenious smith, then the four chariot, three teleportation circle, and then a couple verdurous gear hulk and a sky sovereign console flagship. So we have the blink thing that you were saying makes other Chandler valuable. Um, other Chandler also gives us random bodies, like get, putting a one-one flyer in play when you can play a Verdurus Gearhulk and just make a five-five uh, flyer <laughs> out of nowhere actually matters a lot. Like I just did not have good bodies <laughs> yeah. to put the Verdurus Gearhulk on. Also, making the one-one is a lot more relevant in a deck with other Sphere Harvester, uh, just a way to crew it very easily. Um, putting bodies into play also matters with Prosperous Innkeeper. So I think uh, Chandler is going to be really good here. It's a, it's a way to get rid of Planeswalkers. That was a problem I was having. Yeah, I'm just super excited. So I tweaked the other list, like I said, a bunch. I had gone through a bunch of bad leagues. I finally for one. The deck felt really good. It felt like there were some improvements that could be made. Chandler specifically was interesting. And basically pushing all the blue into uh, the later turns. Because we're already playing for Prophetic Prism, for Carry Added, for Innkeeper. The blue splash is basically free. And it's like a free way to deal with uh, planeswalkers it's a free way to get an extra flyer in play and it's a and that it's all wrapped up in a card that can also just draw a card every turn if i keep blinking it with um teleportation circle yeah yeah teleportation circle might be the card that brings all the synergies together in this deck right 
Yeah, I mean, that's the key. Is teleportation circle is really good. Uh, it's, it's insane with the Seekers Chariot. It's, you know, not quite as good with Verter's Gearhulk or, or uh, you know, Sky Sovereign uh, flagship, but it, it is very good with them. I also really like it with Ingenious Smith. It can turn Ingenious Smith into, like, a card-drawing engine if you're drawing to your, like, removal spell or unlicensed hearse. It also blinks artifacts every turn, so Smith always grows. Okay. So Smith is either, like, card advantage engine or, like, beatdown card, and it can, like, serve whatever role you need it to do in the deck. Like, you can just bounce Prophetic Prism every turn, and your Smith just grows every turn. Or if you don't have the Prophetic Prism, you just bounce the Smith until you draw the Prophetic Prism, and then you bounce the Prism every turn. Yeah. Prisms... <laughs> I can't believe you just want that you play Prism. This is like trying to justify Prism with every strike with every stretch of your body. Prism was insane. Like I said, I, I was doing badly. I, so I added like one Prism because I kept flooding. And then I was like, oh, okay, when I drew that, that was pretty good. I guess I could play like two. I was like, man, every time I'm playing this Prism, it's just insane. Like this card's just crazy. And then I, I played <laughs> the full four and I went four one. I, I could have very easily five would which have been a pretty wild considering how I think misbuilt the list is, especially with some bad cyborg cards. The Prisms just kept on coming and they kept being good. Yeah. Nothing to do against them. Like, if you just have Prism plus Circle in play, even against, like, blue-white, it's really hard for them to beat that. It's like a Planeswalker they can't easily interact with. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I love it. So, yeah, Chandler, I think just, again, a a value card that keeps coming back. All the modes are relevant. Being able to bounce Planeswalkers is more relevant in this deck than other decks because we don't have that many attackers. Being able to make a flyer in a deck that has Verdurus Gearhulks to buff the flyer. Um, and then just, again, being a random value card if all else fails and Teleportation Circle just needs to draw us cards. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the time, just the value piece is what you need. Just sometimes the draw card, even if it's like the less tempo method, once you have a lot of mana, you don't even care about that. Exactly. All right, so that's Pioneer. We've talked enough about Pioneer. Tell me a little bit about Modern. So, about Modern, I think the first list everybody was excited about I'm sure you have seen it around this Spike's Soul Herder list. Yes. So, Swords Soul Herder, as soon as it was spoiled, Spike was like, okay, I don't know what I'm t- taking out. Eventually, he'll end up cutting um, Deputy of Detention and I think one of the. and another removal creature whose name I can't remember right now. It was not a particularly known one. And she started Fort Error Channeler immediately. And as soon as the card got spoiled, I remember every single game I played against that deck with a control deck, I won the same way. Playing a Planeswalker, and it just stood there and won me the game, right? Because when your deck is playing seven walls, four quarrels, and your biggest creature is a Solitude, you are never killing a Planeswalker efficiently. Right. And Ender Channeler, as you said exactly during, during Pioneer, being able to just pause a Planeswalker and tempo your opponent is huge. Like, just taking out their main wing cone and just then starting drawing cards until they redevelop and you can blink it again with the Soul Herder is insane. Yeah, so, like, to your point, the the typical play pattern is you'd play, like, a Teferi and plus it so that Ice Van Quaddle can't kill it. But if you just bounce it with Chandler, then Teferi didn't do anything. And yeah. then And then now you're... What are you going to do? Play Teferi into that again and plus it? Like, if they play a Soul Herder after that, they again get to bounce your Teferi. Your Teferi doesn't do anything. It doesn't want to blink these creatures. They just draw. Exactly. And it should be a pretty common occurrence, right? Like, you just go turn 3 Tef, they go turn 3 Chandler, and you can't go turn 4 Tef unless you have a 1 mana removal because they're just going to go Soul Herder, blink your Tef again, and hold up a favorite, and you're just going to cry. Yeah. So, 
Have you been impressed by this? I, I know he's tried uh, Aspiring Spike has played a little bit. Have you played anything like this or played against it, uh, decks like this in the queues? I have only played one league with Ether Channeler with this deck and it went 3-2. I played super poorly one of the games because I was focusing on other stuff. But Ether Channeler felt amazing. Oh, so it felt like an upgrade. You didn't miss Deputy Detention or the 7th Wall. No, no, not at all. I think this is so much better. And again, this is a card with Collected Company, so you want a card that's always relevant. Sometimes you hit your de, you know, Deputy Detention with a Collected Company and there's nothing to, to hit. This always does something, right? It makes a 1-1 one, one or draws a card. Exactly. And I, I think that's huge. Just being able to have different methods for your card. Like, this is sort of what I was expecting from the black one, which makes a best token, draws your card that loses to one life for excess open graveyard. But the thing is... Exiting open graveyard, while more powerful in certain scenarios, it's not nearly quite as versatile as draw a card. Sorry, right. as bounce something. Right. You can always bounce something if, if you're behind, while the other one, while behind, just sucks. Yeah. Agree. All right, so that's the starting point, the collected company shell. That makes sense. Uh, are there any other places you want to try it out? We talked a little bit about Pop 49's Asorius media deck list that he tends to get pretty good results with. So the deck list is tends to be like pretty straight up. I think Bob is insane in playing used to play four Sun Titans, I think two or three is more reasonable. Like he finally went down a bit with Serra Paragons. So four Travel Inspector, four Charming Prince, four Wall of Omens, four Ranger Captain of Ideos, four Skyclear Apparition, four Solitude, four March, three Sun Titans, four Teferi, four Verdict, and four Ephemerates. I think Ether Channeler deserves a, a few spots in this deck list. Yeah, so the deck is already splashing blue, to your point, to play the Teferis and Supreme Verdict. So we're not asking anything of the mana base it wasn't already prepared to do. Exactly. The card works amazingly well with Ephemerate, works pretty well with Sun Titan slash Serra Paragon. Yeah, I'm surprised this list doesn't also have one Flicker Wisp. That card is so awesome with Sun Titan. We used to play a lot of Flicker Wisp. I remember once I started playing the deck list, I was like, doesn't Flicker Wisp suck? And he was like, no, no, best card in the deck. And eventually it just got cut because... Is it just Red and Six kills it, or what's the story? Red and Six kills it, and a lot of the time, you're too far behind on tempo while playing a Flicker Wisp, right? Like, the best scenario with a Flicker Wisp... I think the best matchup for Flicker Wisp is Amulet Titan. You haven't lived until you go something like... Turn 2, Spring is your land... So the opponent plays a land on turn one, like a forest. You go turn two spreading seas, they go turn two Karu, bounce my land. You go turn three flicker with your Karu. Mm. And you just and they have to and they turn bounce itself to the hand, and opponent's like empty lander. So you have a three mana three one that did that double pillage. Yeah, I'm just thinking like Flicker Wisp in your graveyard, Sun Titan getting back Flicker Wisp, Flicker Wisp immediately flickering Sun Titan, you get another thing back, it's just so sweet. It's amazing, but you can do that with Charming Prince. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And if you're resolving Sun Titan, you're generally already winning. At least in most scenarios. So yeah, what are, what are we looking to cut in your mind? Are we looking to play like a couple other Chandlers? Are we looking to play the, the full boat? So I have never been in love with the full playset of Skyclear Operation. Yeah. Nor the whole playset of Ranger Captain of Fios. So I think you already have two slots in there, like 3-3 three, three instead of 4-4. Four, four. Also, I don't love Charming Prince as a full playset. Right. I do like the addition of the one bullet on Forge Tender if you're playing four Ranger Captain of Fios as a good card to get against Monorail. And there's a giant killer to tutor up as well. Yeah. 
Also, the super spicy and beautiful land, Italy Crunch, will see a surprising amount of games because your opponent never, absolutely never plays around it. No, they cannot. No one has ever played around Italy Crunch. Like, I cannot tell you the number of times my opponent has gone like, okay, um, bolt your Ranger Captain of Fios and you just fetch, get a 4-4, four, four, and they're like, wait, what? How? <laughs> How did this happen to us? When, where did we go wrong? Yeah, so sometimes being able to buy back a way to get rid of expensive permanence is super cool, right? Like, getting back yeah. Skyclave Apparition is fine, but it doesn't stop Titan, uh, for instance, that came down. Yeah, and a lot of the time, bouncing Skyclave Apparition is going to lead to your opponent having a lot of tokens you're going to struggle with. For example, like, if you have Fairmite or Skyclave Apparition to deal with two stuff for your opponent's end step... You're gonna get crushed while just bouncing two stuff with your inner channeler, like end step and upkeep. It's just a huge tempo play. Well, and channeler and skyclave apparition kind of work together, right? If you don't have four of each, maybe you have three of each. The yeah. channeler can blink the token that apparition left behind if it needs to. If it doesn't need to, then it can draw a card, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There is also a really minor upside, but it's worth considering that inner channeler can bounce your own stuff in the mid to late game, and that's bound to happen semi-consistently. Yeah, I mean, you know, bouncing uh, your uh, ambitious farmhand to get another planes. Yeah, a lot of the time you're about to get a land, or you have this super small loop of six mana draw a card with the Fetty and Ether Channeler. Which you're surprised how many games in your immediate deck go to six lands. Right. I know it sounds like a joke, but you would be surprised how many games with this deck I have won by hard casting. Okay, and Bob's not playing it. Um, the land from Sendikar, the seven mana one. The one that bolts your face. Oh, <laughs> that, that makes two four four angels. Exactly. You have no many games I have won via angels. So it's not an impossibility at all. And yeah, I think this deck deserves some of them. If not main deck, then maybe. I think in the main deck, just as a way to bounce your opponent stuff, keep the tempo when needed. Pretty amazing when you start getting them back with the media and huge ephemerate synergy. You will see in that deck you have zero cards besides Wall of Omen that draw a card with ephemerate. Yeah, which is kind of surprising. I mean, Ranger Captain sort of draws a card. I mean, it nets it's three mana to draw you a card. You, you get a Thraven plus a clue, but it's gonna take you a while to draw a card. Right. A lot of the time you need your Solitude now. Right. Like, I, I gotta dig for it, or I need my Defendi, or I need my Cyborg cards, and I can't afford to turtle around with my Ranger Captain. Yeah. No, I, I like that. I mean, like you say, if you cut a Skyclave Apparition, you cut a Charming Prince, you cut a Ranger Captain, maybe just play three of them or something like that. Exactly. All right, yeah, I mean, I think we're just super excited to try it. It's about finding the right place for it, right? This isn't a card that by itself, when it resolves the game, like wins the game. It just always is going to be good, right, in, in every situation. It's never going to be broken. It's a super fair card. So, of course, and it accumulates a lot of value over time. So those are the things that Mord and I like. Uh, and we're very excited to uh, play really long games where Chandler enters play a bunch of different times, does a bunch of different things. Exactly. Also, I will say in... Pioneer specifically, Fable is everywhere. And so, like, just coming into play, taking out the creature, the token, you, you're just straight up even with Fable. And if you ever get to bounce it again, you're, it just feels amazing, right? So th that that's already just great. Um, the Tether Channel was also tested in Enigmatic Builds, 
but it suffered from exactly what that discussed as not best in class because you never caught it over the alternatives that were just straight up more powerful, right? Yeah, we'll, we're we're kind of entering the end of our other Chandler thing here, so that this is a good, perfect segue into our leyline binding discussion. Oh, hundred percent. I played it as a one of in my leyline binding list. So our card last week was leyline binding. Dan and Mord had a bunch of cool ideas. You guys also really liked it with the uh, black um, domain spell prophecy, dark prophecy, shadow prophecy, shadow prophecy. So I wanted to try it in like a super combo build. So I played four <laughs> search of the, what the hell is this card called? What card? Uh, for in search of greatness. Oh, <laughs> with, how did you forget about I, <laughs> the most debated crappy card I have ever seen? It's a terrible card. It's a terrible card. Um, so I played a search for greatness plus enigmatic incarnation. And so the thought is, if you get a binding in play and you have either of those cards, then if Titan's in your hand, you can play it for free. If Titan's in your deck, you can sack your binding and go get it. So my one drops were four portable hole. It's a card that you can play for free the turn after you play a, a turn two in search of greatness. You can play it for free from your hand, which is cool. Um, even though it's not an enchantment, this deck is not all like all in on enchantments. My two drops were Wolf Willow Haven, Search for Greatness, Nylea's Presence. A couple of Omen of the Seas. Good old Omen. I yeah. just love the Omen. My uh, three drops were two uh, Moon Blessed Clerics to tutor for my various enchantments. One Other Chandler. One Knight of Autumn. The the Clone MDFC. And then I played four Enigmatic Incarnation, one Urian, four Titan, four Binding. And tell us a bit about it. Tell us about the great search for greatness you had. Yeah, so it started out awesome. I was 3-0-6-0. I had not lost a game. I had, I had dominated, like, what I consider all to be, like, tier 1 or 2-ish decks. I played Abzan Greasefang. I played Mono Black Aggro. And I played Blue Red Phoenix uh, by Gould Dukat, who is one of the better Blue Red Phoenix players in the format. And I just 2-0 them very easily. Uh, got some screenshots here. And the thing that struck me was, like, how reasonable binding was. Like, I considered in various Search for Greatness decks in the past... The four mana flash version of this that cycles. <laughs> um, lay claim? No, what? No. Um, cast out? No, it's not cast out. Or is it? Is it? We can do this. Come on. It's not that card. Yeah, it is cast out. Haha! I knew it. My enchantress <laughs> and my resurrection belief. Studies work for something. So the thing that's relevant here is instant speed is really, really good with Search for Greatness because Search for Greatness is a trigger that goes on the stack. So if you have it in your hand and you have the Titan in your hand, you don't need to do it that turn. You can flash it in during your um, upkeep with the trigger of the Search for Greatness on the stack. And then you say yes and play your Titan for free. Okay. And that came up a bunch of times. So you, you can like, let's say you turn to Search for Greatness... Turn three, like, play a tap land, play Nylea's Presence, and you draw your Titan and you have a Binding in hand. Your next upkeep, you just flash in Binding for one and play Titan for free. And that turn is not just great because you got a free Titan. You also played a one-mana removal spell that got rid of their best permanent, got rid of their Liliana or their Fable or whatever. It's it's incredible how powerful that turn is. There's There's nothing that compares with it. That's the best... 
uh, turn four in the format by far. It's way better than Transmogrify, for instance, because you also got a free removal spell functionally. Yeah. And you still have three mana left that turn if you want to do something else. And then the cool thing is once you have that in play, you just have in search for greatness, like cycling through the top of your deck, right? You're scrying one. Like that's not worth it just by itself, but um, it is worth it as if you've already like bought a bunch of time by playing a seven, seven and a four, four and gaining five life or whatever. So anyway, started out great against them. Uh, then I played Mono Red Goblins, a really cool list, and just didn't quite get the mana to line up and didn't quite combo in time. They played the uh, they did play Squee, <laughs> who got me. Squee. They played uh, the Rabble Master, and I had to sack Binding to get my Titan, but that meant that they got to attack with Rabble Master and like six goblins, and they all had Trample from the one one goblin that like. When you attack with three or more creatures, it gives everything trample and first strike or whatever. So maybe I just needed to, a few better cyborg cards there. I'm not. I'm not sure what was going. What the what the plan ought to have been. Uh, and then lost to red black sacrifice because I mulled to five in both of my two losses. So it was actually really surprisingly easy to do the thing. Okay. Uh, I, I misbuilt the deck. There there wasn't uh, enough white mana sources. I should not have had Ether Chandler as a tutor target. I actually don't think I needed the Urian. There's not actually that many things to like blink for value in the list. I think I should just maybe go all in on Omen of the Seas. Okay. Like they just helped me find the pieces. But yeah, like basically once you get your first Titan, then Enigmatic Incarnation sacks a two drop to find the clone for your Titan and the game is over. Like <laughs> one Titan doesn't win, but the second Titan always does. Yeah, second Titan is a lot. Yeah, and there's a bunch of enchantments that you get to blow up too. Like, you know, you get to blow up random artifacts if you don't need the other token. And it's even like weirdly resistant to Liliana because Liliana just kills the 4-4, which doesn't do that much anyway. So yeah, just the list felt really good. I, I'm, I'm going to try it again once I update the mana, tweak out the sideboard. But the fact that I, you know, felt like I was in basically every game, it, it lines up very well against aggro and... Uh, it's actually surprising how often it comes together. Maybe I was just fortunate in the first league and I'll be very frustrated in the future, but... I can already see myself hearing you just curse this deck into oblivion in, like, the next week. <laughs> like, everything that went well in the leagues proceeds to go completely wrong and you just rake into, like, okay, Insensual Greatness is the worst card I have seen in years. Like, complete opposite rant. Yeah, it's just... The other problem that I think... I had was I was playing all these cards that wanted to draw. So I'd always have something for search for greatness. But if you don't need to do that, if the thing that's triggering it is instead of a draw spell, just a cheap removal spell, that's already good. And this card, if you get to cast it for three mana, even is still fine, right? Like you play search for greatness, you play a third land and then you just cast it on your, you know, whatever on their attack they you get their yeah. squee, let's say. Then next turn you just play a Titan for free. Like you didn't have to do anything crazy. You didn't play any special cards. You just played a slightly undercosted cast out, and then you played a Titan for free, and you didn't do anything special, and you got one free scry to try to find the Titan. So you do have to play a slightly worse mana base because I played three Triomes and then eight Shocks, and I actually think I should be playing an extra Shock. I should be playing an Azorius land, even though everything else makes green, just so you can have a Planes in play more often, uh, more types for your Binding, just to be a slightly better card when when you don't have the triome and when, when you don't have the knightly as blessing okay so you have to take some damage there but that's the you know that's the iron price you have to be willing to pay it so there's something to consideration here which is you say that maybe you should go into 60 cards 
And it's worth mentioning that the enigmatic incarnation decklist at 5.0, even if I completely disagree with it, I'm just being impartial at mentioning this as much as it hurts, was actually a 60 card deck. It was? I didn't know that. Yeah, the one that got the 5.0, the one that you saw the 4-7 drops in, was actually a 60 card decklist. Your brain just didn't recognize that. I just assumed your iron was there because everyone's yeah. been kind of playing the same. Exactly, exactly. I had the same issue the first time. Like the first time I saw it, I was like, "Oh, this is a iron necklace," and I was like, "Wait, how many lands?" And when I saw twenty-three, I was like, "Wait a minute, brain! <laughs> Wait a minute!" And yeah, it was exactly as I saw. It was a sixty-card necklace because I assumed they were basing themselves on the power level of binding plus enigmatic with certain consistency. I guess I should have known because fires is the card that you kind of add when you go up to the sixty cards, and fires is so good with your iron, of course. Yeah, and the other 60-card version that didn't 5-0 was exactly... So the first version of that 5-0 was 60 cards with fire, and the second one was the guy saying, look, if you're not going to play Orion, don't play fires. And they just didn't play fires. They had four Enigmatic and Omnath as extra four drops. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I'm certainly not an Enigmatic Incarnation player, but like being all-in on the combo felt way better than to me than trying to play fair without Orion. Yeah, it's really hard. I like the idea, though, of the Dryad of the Elysian Grove as another uh, presence, and it's actually tutorable. That that actually really intrigues me. Yeah, that was a super interesting take that I actually thought was pretty good, because now you have the additional upside. Besides the fixing, that you're also getting the, the domain value. Suddenly, the other day I was checking, there's really few cards with domain in Magic's history. I really expected it to be a more spread-out mechanic. Yeah, well, you know, normally the fixing in the in a specific format is not uh, the actual types. You know, like, first of all, of course, Triumphs, whether you like them or not, are a very recent, quote-unquote, innovation. So, you know, if the fixing is like pain lands and check lands or whatever, then domain sucks to have as a mechanic because you, you put this exciting yeah. mechanic on all these cards and then you can't play them. So, for example, if you look, like, in Scryfall at the text domain and then you look, like, modern legality, you only have, what, I think it's 40 cards? 37 cards. I did a search myself, yeah. It's like a non-existing number. I was surprised by how low it was. It actually like was super sad. Also, I learned that Voices from the Void exists. Yeah. Five mana opponents, these cards five. Spiciest little crappy card I would never play I have ever seen. So bad. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know yet... There's some ideas here. I'm I'm not a, I just am not in love that much with Orion and these shells without having more stuff to blink. Like there's no, just not that much stuff to actually get in your main deck, and you only have an incarnation sacrifice. I never love drawing Orion, so especially I think in my in my more combo focused list, I need to be all in on the combo. So I love a deputy detention. I love maybe going up to four Omen of the Seas. Maybe moving away from Wolfalo Haven. It did not do very much for me. I don't know if I need okay. to accelerate if I'm not going to ever hard cast Orion. And stream down down to 60. Well, I'm already at 60. I wasn't playing Ryan. Okay. And just stream down in the combo. Because I want to do the thing. You know, we're brewing. I wanted, I wanted the thing to happen as much as possible. It happened all the time. Even yeah. games I lost, so. So I also think, like, in, in modern, you can just put your on anything. Because you have enough powerful cards. Like, let's say I'm insane and I want to play Iorion Murktide. Okay, I just go up to 27 lands. That's 7 spots. I only need 13 more cards. I have two charm, one bolt, 
Um, one spell pierce, one Darcy, two Ledger Shredder, one Brazen Borrower, one Multide, and that's 10 spots already, right? You have so much power level. A Tolarian Serpent. <laughs> and two Tolarian Serpents, if I'm yeah. insane. <laughs> yeah. Or actually, just like good cards. You know, I could add one Chase in the main deck and three and Blood Moons even, because I can access two more islands because I'm playing Yorion. Right. But what I mean is, the modern power level is so huge, you can feature Yorion in whatever the hell you want, and you're going to have enough playsets to sign up for that, right? Like Rhino's going full on Yorion, and the only thing to link is Solitude and Omnath and Fury. Right. Right. Well, in Pioneer, even while playing 60, sometimes you have to fill your deck with bad cards to get to the maximum account. Right. And I think that's why Yorio becomes a lot less powerful unless you are super exploiting it. Like the normal enigmatic pressures like super go off with Yorio. Like Yorio is a, a wincon of its own, right? Like you blink the two mana edicts, the omens, the... Like your deck should be close to a 5 for 1 or 6 for 1 just by being itself. So unless you're getting that sort of raw power level out of it, in Pioneer specifically, 60 might be better in a lot of spots. Yeah, I think that's right. All right, so that was my experience. I really like the deck. I'm going to fix the mana. I'm going to add some white sources. I'm going to add an extra planes, an extra shock, just so I can feel alive. And I'm probably <laughs> going to run it again. Uh, how did you find uh, Leyline Binding in Modern? So I have done a lot of testing with a lot of different builds. Sadly, mostly was with uh, with different Esper builds that I got absolutely crushed on. Like, the card was insane. The builds I was playing it weren't as much. But that's because I was also trying to go off with Shadow Prophecy in different setups. Right now, my best win rate has been an 8-2 with a... So Curribor Asorius is the decklist of Asorius control with Yorion, Spreading Seas, Wall of Omens... And Hiddens to play Wandering Emperor, Restoration Angel. Yes, he's the Restoration Angel guru. That's what makes the Curryboard special, right? Turn 3, Vendillion Click it, turn 4, Restoration Angel. Yep. So I said, what if we drop the Curryboard special and make it good? Because I have no idea how Curryboard wins consistently with that. Also, Curryboard has gone insane and is playing Chukwa Sali Ambusher. I saw that. That's insane. Yeah. With the Ban Triome. There was this video of Spike where he was tilting because his opponent top deck, we could river top deck, double supreme verdict, double solitude. And the turn Spike is about to attack with lethal for elves. Curryboard has three cards in hand and goes double Kosali Ambusher on like turn six. <laughs> it just destroys him. Like totally destroys Spike. It's a beautiful clip. Yeah, that's awesome. That's just what Curryboard does to people. So you're not going to play Kosali Ambusher in your... Domain list. So maybe I am on the sideboard, but that's okay. not what I'm looking for. So I just grabbed the deck list, took out the Vendillion Glickes, the Quasali Ambushers, the Resto Angels, and was like, okay, I'm gonna still play Callis of the Void. I'm still gonna play most of the good stuff. I'm just gonna Curryboard tends to play four ending and no marches. And I was like, I'm gonna play four ending, take out the Fire and Ice, and play four Leyline Binding. Okay. So, Leyline Bindings have been insane at dealing with most stuff. The combination of Prismatic Ending and Leyline Binding March allowing you to play Callis of the Void in the main deck is just insane. A lot of the time, Callis of the Void is at least a bit annoying with Prismatic Ending because you have to pay it for two a lot of the stuff times you don't want to. But with Leyline Binding, you just still pay one. You just don't even care about your Callis of the Void ever. Interesting. And that has been super relevant. 
Besides that, in this decklist I have taken out Omen of the Seas and added Shadow Prophecy, and I'm just testing the card and it has worked pretty well so far. Because it's mostly free once you have already added the domain cards for Leyline Binding, right? And I think it's better than stuff like Memory Delusion and such, but that's just personal taste testing right now. So yeah, you and Dan were kind of making the point, if you're going to go all the way to Enigmatic, or excuse me, to Leyline Binding, why not also do the, the Prophecy thing, you know, and you can combine that with a Reanimator package, you can combine it with yeah. other stuff. It seems like basically nobody has done that second step, or the people who have haven't been the ones 5-0-ing and doing well in the challenges. I have been getting crushed. The people who have been doing better have just been doing the, the binding thing. So do you think that's a function of the prophecy as a card, or adding, you know, maybe mixing up your plans and not just being a, a efficient removal spell, you're also asking your deck to be a little more proactive, or, or what do you think? I think just adding the binding is so free, it requires no great changes. Like, you just take out worse removal or worse fillers and just go up to four binding and it's bound to work. And you play, like, one more Triome. Uh, four colors, some decklists of four colors at 5-0 didn't even add a Triome. They are still exactly the same mana base and are just oh, playing okay. binding as an amazing two mana removal. Yeah, like a super terminate. Exactly. And that has worked enough to 5-0, so I think that adding Shadow Prophecy package and such requires a much bigger layout of the change in the layout of the deck, right? Like, in how it works. So, I'm not still sure just adding binding is what you should do. I'm 100% sure you should add binding. Like, going halfway is 100% better than not going anywhere. I'm just 100% certain of that. Binding should be in your deck if you can afford to play binding. Okay. But do you need to go all the way to Prophecy Unclear at this point? I'm not sure yet. I'm learning that as I speak. For the first time, I have found a decklist I actually think it's good. I have tried a lot of them and I have struggled to like find my correct numbers. This Cool River version, where I'm just playing 4 Wall of Omens, 4 Spreading Seas, 4 Counters, 4 Arcbase Charm, 4 Teferi, 4 Shadow Prophecy, Solitude, Subtlety, Lady and Binding, Ending March, is so far the best one I have found. The fact that Wall of Omens allows you to just ignore certain creatures, like against Goblins, Wall of Omens makes it so a lot of like the minor creatures you can just ignore, and you focus your removal on the important stuff. So it has been pretty good. So far, so good. Shadow Prophecy, the times that I have cast it, I have loved it. Because it gives you additional 2 for ones alongside Arcmage Charm, with a lot of the time you don't want to counter with it, because it's the only 2 for one you have in your deck. Everything else is like a straight up 2 for one for one So it has felt pretty good, because you played 2 Memory Deluge, and I think this is a huge upgrade. Okay. Also allows you to splash Kaya Skyle in the sideboard, and Kaya Skyle is an amazing card for a lot of matchups. Right, yeah. So, do you think you need to have lots of synergy with the graveyard for Dark Prophecy no. to be good? No. Have you been playing, like, reanimator-style lists with that as well? Not... I have played a few, and the legs... So, I was super unlucky. There was games I literally had four persistent hands, zero archons in the graveyard, or the other way around. And <laughs> it was like, the odds of this make absolutely no freaking sense. Right. And I still managed to get, like, a 3-2 and a 2-3 while literally never playing the game. So there might be something to a 60-card deck with 4 Shadow Prophecy and just trying to build your Archons and your Burial Rites. I think there's a lot of consistency to that plan that I think is worth looking into. But just by someone more that enjoys Reanimator more than I do. Okay. So we're locked in that Leyline Binding is an awesome piece of removal. In Pioneer, it's, it actually involves building your whole deck around it. Yeah. 
whether that's right to do an enigmatic incarnation or not, how many seven drops to play, should you play your iron or not, that's unknown. But in modern, it seems like a borderline staple removal spell. Is it the best removal spell? It's certainly in the conversation, and that says something in a format as powerful as modern. Yeah, the fact it is elbow to elbow with prismatic ending and unholy hit is such insane because I have never seen a permanent base removal even make slightly ripples because of all the downsides we talked about previously. But if even with all those downsides it's so efficient, it's shocking. Yeah. All right, so it's up to us to either channeler away the <laughs> leyline bindings this week to uh, free our planeswalker exactly. or whatever. You have to be extremely careful to binding at the ferry because your opponent can just either channel or get at the ferry and then do whatever they want. They just go to free the ferry. Well, that's why I like the uh, the mono-white, quote-unquote, list that you were talking about adding Chandler to because it seems like a very natural card, especially if bindings and be the people try to get rid of Teferi. Yeah. It's like you get rid of the binding, put it back in their hand, then Teferi puts other Chandler back in your hand, so when they binding on their turn again... And they can never get rid of it. Yeah, yeah. And they just keep drawing cards. Right. I am also super interesting thing. Chandler is amazing if you're playing Ephemerate against the creativity decks because none of the other cards in that deck, like Skycleave or such, get rid of like the treasure tokens. Oh, the treasure tokens, yeah. And it's permanent, so if you play it right away, like on turn three, you just get rid of their first war for their first treasure, and then if you blink it later. Because it happens a lot that you really struggle to get rid of the treasures or clues that are made by hard evidence. Because it's not easy to interact with that. Right, and you you can't main deck Knight, Knight of Autumn or whatever, This, but this is a main deckable card that can do that. Exactly. So super interesting, especially with Ephemerate as a way to get rid of those super cleanly. All right, so the world for people like us who like playing super long games where you slowly accumulate value is just looking better <laughs> and better. I have sent a lot of... So in all of these Shadow Prophecy binding decks... A lot of the games I have won due to being a Yorion deck because I have gone below 20 cards on my library. And I send those creatures to my friends and they're like, I hate these sort of games. And I'm like, I love this. Yeah. Like the Yorion Mirror of Control where both players have less than 20 cards in the deck. Oh yes, give me baby. Give me all of them. It's just one of those where I tell Katie, like, all right, I'll be up to bed, you know, when this league is over. And then it's just like the first game, you know, we're both under like five minutes on the clock. It's like, oh God, this is going to be a super long league. And then by the time I go to bed, she's like, what the hell is wrong with you? Exactly. It's like, yeah, you should probably <laughs> don't mind <laughs> crazy ass. I, I think that the, the culmination of my love for long games is whenever I'm playing decks like four color control or such, and I just let... Um, Red and Six Emblem a lot of the time because I would rather have my removal for a Tarmogoyf and my opponent is on top deck mode and I'm like, I don't care about your best card. Like, what I kind of agree with is a Thought Seize and a drawing once per turn their best card is not enough to win my three bad cards per turn. <laughs> <laughs> or letting, or the worst case scenario, letting heal, like me having only one Solitude in hand, heal your opponent going off infinite life and me like going, okay, I'm gonna mill you out. <laughs> but I'm not gonna lie to Ballista. Right. And everybody was like, please kill the skill, please kill the Ballista, please send the game now. He's I mean, please kill the Spike Fear, he's not gonna top like Ballista. And I'm like, I don't know. He can go yeah. infinite. This yeah. is not my issue. <laughs> Alright, so we will leave it there. Um yeah, I guess the takeaway is for sure play Leyline Binding in modern. And then hopefully yeah. let's find some sweet shells for other Chandler. I hope so as well. And if you're playing Costa Ambusher. 
you are either a genius or a madman, but never a sane person. No. Always nowhere in between. Nowhere in between. So thanks so much, everybody, for joining. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much, David, for being with me today. Had a lot of fun. All right. Take care, buddy. Take care. Bye-bye. Decklists for this episode can be found at our homepage, faithlessbrewing.com. And tune in on Friday for the conclusion of our monthly project and the nominees for next month's card. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. Join the Faithless family and help support the show at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe and we'll see you next time. <laughs> They're so small. They're like less than 10 days old. I know. But they can cry. Okay, now we are in. I just needed to get some of that audio for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>